Hey everyone, thanks for checking out Grub Stakers, a podcast about billionaires where we ask the question, is there such a thing as a good billionaire? This week we're going to be covering Mark Cuban, Dallas Maverick owner, Shark Tank star, and a man who has dodged some allegations from women time and time again. We cover all these things with our special guest, Mike Racine. Oh, and also, we talk about why Sean McCarthy was not kicked out of the podcast. Was it a bird? Was it a plane? Mm, maybe a future lawsuit. All that more this week on Grubstakers. I think we disproportionately stop whites too much. I taught those kids lessons on product development and marketing and... They taught me what it was like growing up feeling targeted for your race. I am proud to be gay. I am proud to be a Republican. You know, I went to a tough school in Queens and they used to beat up the little Jewish boys. You know, I love having the support of real billionaires. Hey everybody, welcome to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires, and a special welcome to our new listeners, the attorneys at Covington and Burling. Um, I'm Sean P. McCarthy, joined as always by... Andy Palmer. Yogi Paul. Steve Jeffries. And today we got a very special guest, a very funny stand-up comedian, host of the podcast, The Sit Down. Mike Racine is with us. Thank you. And uh, we, we've got an episode about Mark Cuban, uh, of course the Dallas Mavericks owner, uh, Shark Tank... Uh, cast member, uh, but before we get to that, we just spend five minutes talking about uh, why. Your tweet, yeah, <laughs> we've been t- talking about why the attorneys at Covington and Burling, or at least an intern, is probably listening to this. Your former coworkers, now. yes, Continue. my former coworkers at Covington. So basically, like, also explain why Sean got fired from the podcast. Right, right, right. So we'll keep this to like five minutes. But basically, I. Uh, Around, like, left Twitter, there have been, like, a few different tweets which were, like, people saying, like, oh, I work at Arby's and I, like, uh, kick out Trump supporters. And then there was, like, a viral thing of, like, some 4chan idiot, like, spending four hours on the phone with Arby's just to be told that that person doesn't work there. (laughs) And so everybody was laughing at them. And then someone else posted something about how they worked at the Mayo Clinic and they were, like, telling Trump supporters that they have, like, what were they called, entopic pregnancies or something. So they had to get abortions of their white babies. (laughs) And then that, and, you know, Paul Joseph Watson had like this is disgusting so you know like all these uh, left Twitter people were laughing at these idiots and I just like took the same formula I said uh, I, I had a tweet like at my foreclosure law firm today I looked up one of the people we were foreclosing on and found out they were a Jill Stein volunteer I approved the foreclosure even though they were current on payments and now they're going to lose their house lol hashtag I resist or whatever and then like people ignored it but like some somebody tweeted it at a left Twitter account and then mm-hmm. people started like bothering me about it so I said, well, if you have a problem, take it up with my employee, Covington and Burling, which is like, uh, so for those who don't know, and again, I'll try to be quick about this, but it's a D.C. law firm that uh, Obama's attorney general, Eric Holder, worked for. What he did in the 90s was he helped Chiquita Banana or Chiquita Brands uh, settle a dispute with the government where Chiquita in Colombia was uh, paying like 1.3 or 1.8 million to right-wing terrorist organizations in Colombia to uh, murder union organizers for, you know, banana uh, plants harvesting. Eric Holder got a settlement for Chiquita Banana for uh, covering up uh, this murder of union organizers in Colombia for like 25 million. And then they also did a, they were uh, big on the foreclosure crisis, uh, talk about this on a future episode, but they wrote a legal opinion uh, for the uh, Mortgage Electronic Registry Service, which basically a lot of mortgage-backed securities in 2008 didn't engage in proper chain of title transfer. Every time you exchange properties, you're supposed to transfer the promissory note, the mortgage assignment. Uh, mortgage-backed securities didn't do that for a variety of reasons, such as they didn't want to pay the $35 fee, you have to pay to local Uh, public records every time you do. So they just set up their own internal um, uh, system for keeping track of that, which is totally illegal. But Covington and Burling uh, wrote the legal opinion and defended this, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, something like six million people were foreclosed on in 2010 fraudulently thanks to this work. So I said Covington, I worked at Covington because I wanted people to call Covington. And, uh, and they did like a bunch of people started calling Covington and asking if I worked there and like trying to get me fired. And then eventually somebody posted on Facebook that they called Covington and they were like, okay, so this person doesn't work there. Have you taught, are you going to sue them for defamation? And the person on the other end of the line said, well, all I can say is that we've had that discussion. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Basically, I don't work for Covington and Burling, but uh, they're kind of shitty, and I'm glad, you know, 
It's just it's funny to me that like the only way you can get people to like call a law firm that like helped murder union organizers and help foreclose on six million people is if you they think they can get you fired because that's the only way online activism works anymore is they want that immediate uh, dopamine hit of getting somebody fired. Yeah, someone's going to kill you and they're going to make it look like a suicide oh, and no one's going to question it. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, he did tweet about Jill Stein a lot. <laughs> also, a bunch of people uh, flooded the Grubstaker's account with uh, demands to fire Sean. Yeah. Uh, we don't have an income, but if you want to send us money, we'll make sure none of it goes to Sean. I was already planning on that pre this scandal. <laughs> So Chiquita was paying right-wing terrorist groups to murder union organizers, right. and then what was Covington and Burling's role in that? So uh, Eric Holder, when he worked for Covington in the 90s, this is before he started with Obama, but he, of course, went back to Covington after Obama. Um, he got a settlement with the Justice Department where basically Chiquita paid $25 million and they just said that they were paying off these right-wing terrorist organizations as protection money. And then there was no admission of, you know, murdering unionize, or union organizers and no investigation, you know. So, so he that, represented them. Right. He yeah. got them a sweetheart deal with the Justice uh, Department of Justice. And, of course, they repped most of the major banks, which is another reason why uh, 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 there was no real Obama DOJ investigation into MERS or the major banks. And uh, his number two, Lanny Brewer, also came from and went back to Covington and Burling. Now, so, I heard an interview with Eric Holder that was uh, if they there was anything they would have found it, but they didn't find anything. Oh, okay. So let's let's not make accusations willy nilly. I just love that this fucking piece of shit's gonna run for president. <laughs> but hey, um, Holder. Yeah, Holder's gonna run for president after you know take this one point three one point six million a year job after leaving the White House where they saved his office for him. Um, but yeah, I mean it's like. You know, I, I hope they don't sue me for defamation, but, you know, I had some uh, big-name journalists reach out, so you never know what you're going to be famous for. So if, if I can raise my profile... You see Sean with a GoFundMe <laughs> trying to raise $15 million for his <laughs> I would like to say if there's anyone listening to this at Covington, please sue Sean because yeah. the numbers will get from oh, that. Oh, yeah. Oh, my he God. He just drains your Patreon. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. At first, I was mad. I was like, oh, fuck, this is going to lead into something terrible. But then I saw the hits on the podcast. I'm like, keep doing it, guys. I don't care. <laughs> I did like, I also said I worked at the Brookings Institute, which is a think tank in Washington, and they had to tweet out that uh, this person has never worked here. <laughs> and I was pretty proud of that. It's crazy how quick corporations have to be like, uh, someone's saying that they work here. We don't know what's going on. Let's figure it out real quick. I do just like that. It's like, you know, I would assume uh, more like people who are just on left Twitter all the time would know about Covington. But like the the only thing is now their fucking tweets, Covington tweets, all have like responses being like, please fire this person immediately. (laughs) You're foreclosing on Jill Stein supporters. And it's like, well, you know, at least somebody's given them some negative publicity. I'm the only candidate in this race that is not poisoned. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, so that was about it for for my story. But, uh, you know, Covington, if you're listening, um, uh, you know, please have mercy. Or, you know, if, if you kill me, like not in the face. (laughs) <laughs> where do you want it instead of the face <laughs> some gut shots god like so a, a lot of my research for that uh, and again I'd like to do more Sean McCarthy shot himself 17 times <laughs> <laughs> reloaded halfway through there was like uh, so a lot of my research comes from this book by David Day and Chain of Title which is about the 2010 foreclosure fraud I really recommend I'll talk about it more on a future episode but basically there was like one case that went forward against a foreclosure mill law firm, uh, the key cooperating witness mysteriously died the night before <laughs> she was to give her sworn testimony, um, you know, like allegedly of a drug overdose. So something you can't to think trust about. junkies. You, know, you can't really recant. <laughs> But uh, last, this episode's about Mark Cuban McCarthy. Right, yes. So, uh, but you know what sucks is when you do finally get murked, like, we're all going to have to be like, he was murdered. All your friends are going to, yeah. yeah. I, I love, like, just people be, like, paid to, like, share all my fucking stand-up clips about depression or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh, hey. Here's the suicide hotline if you're thinking about it. Just a bunch of people, like, <laughs> tweeting out, like, my prescription for Paxil or some shit, like. Yeah, I don't know. It'll suck, but I mean, it's inevitable at this point. Like, I you think you getting murdered. Well, I think like political murder is really going to take off in like five to ten years. 
You're just going to have, like, fucking gang war between, like, Chapo and the right stuff or whatever. But, like, the- re- retail shit against podcasts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Podcast war. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, anyway, so that's that's about the background story. Uh, if you're listening, Covington and Burling, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Uh, you know, uh, do not send any process servers. I do not uh, leave the apartment ever. Um, anyway, so let's get into it. Uh, uh, this week we're talking about uh, Mark Cuban, and uh, we're very happy Mike's here because he's an avid watcher of Shark Tank, so he can tell us all about uh, how Mark Cuban behaves and. You know, Mark Cuban has talked about how, like, Shark Tank really raised his profile and, like, how much more well-known he is because of it. Um, but so, basically, he's worth, according to Forbes, as of uh, June 2018, he's worth about $3.7 billion. Um, he was born in Pittsburgh, 1958, middle-class family. Father was an automobile upholsterer. His mom worked odd jobs. Uh, and he grew up in Mount Lebanon, Jewish middle-class suburb around there. He must feel like such a piece of shit when he looks at the list of other billionaires. And there's $60 billion. Ten billion, seven billion. Yeah, I'm sure and then he he's like got his three billion. Well, well we've, we've covered fewer billions before, right? Like, yeah, um, I mean it's like it's, Ac- Ackman was one billion. Well, yeah, and Ackman lost like half his fucking money because he's an idiot. Um, but uh, but it's like it's something where uh, even a billion dollars, like how could anybody in good like conscience spend that much money? Like how the fuck do you even figure out what to do with that much money? Um, so, you know, 3.7 is... It. He must have so many Cheez-Its at his house. <laughs> it just never <laughs> runs out. <laughs> uh, but so his uh, paternal grandparents came from Russia, maternal from Romania. They were uh, Jewish. I think it probably had something to do with the pogroms. This is a big running theme in a lot of people's Mark lives. Mark Cuban's Jewish? Yeah. I mean... Uh, Wouldn't I'm, have guessed that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and so, like, he kind of had, like, you know... Wait, are you saying all the billionaires are Jews? <laughs> No, why would you think that is? <laughs> Anyways, uh, he was uh, uh, born in a, a middle-class suburb, grows up middle-class suburb, and then, like, uh, at age 16, he comes up with this idea. There's, like, a strike at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, the local newspaper. So he comes up with the business idea of running newspapers from Cleveland to Pittsburgh. So he essentially is such an entrepreneur that he figured out how to be a scab at, like, an early age. Um, and he made a, a good deal of money doing that, scabbing. At 16? Yeah, at 16. Mm. That was a good hustle. And when I was 12, I sold Wawa sandwiches in the lunchroom uh, <laughs> mar- at like a 50-cent markup. I would go buy them the night before, and then I would sell them. I didn't. I didn't. I should have sold them for more money. Right. What's a Wawa sandwich? Wawa is a um, convenience store, uh, a Pennsylvania and South Jersey convenience store. There's some in Maryland, too. I think it might be coming to New York soon. Um, but it's the best. It's the best convenience store on the planet. <laughs> you excited for it to be New York? No, because I like leaving New York and yeah, going right, to Wawa. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, um, Mike, maybe if there's a union strike, you'll be able to start selling them again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, so he he goes to University of Pittsburgh for a year. He transfers to Indiana U in Bloomington. He graduates from the Kelly School of Business, 1981. Um, he joins a frat as well, uh, which which will become relevant later. And uh, so he has, like, this story in this uh, documentary I watched. Basically, he purchased and renovated a bar near campus in Indiana called the Motley's Pub. And I'm like, they don't really explain where he got the money for that, Hmm. you know? But I guess he, like, got some of it from, like, other people becoming shareholders, like, spending X number to get some of the profits in the bar. Yeah, everyone else in college is, like, buying porn for the first <laughs> right, time right. and, like, <laughs> trying to finger someone. And he's like, I'll buy a bar. Then they'll have to like me. <laughs> yeah, he got to the fingering people later. <laughs> yeah. He's like the kid with a pool who can't understand why he doesn't have friends. <laughs> so did he just take out 50,000 of student loans and just say fuck school? Invested in a bar and a bunch of other ventures well it's funny because like the other clip is like him saying like yeah when i was in college i was like hustling you know applying for this loan applying for this grant applying for this scholarship and it's like i basically lived off of 20 bucks a week you know at the most at the most um and i just hustled you know, get this loan and apply for this aid and apply for this grant and he was like someday i'll be a 50 year old on a yacht who takes viagra <laughs> <laughs> but it's like that's all the government 
So right, it's right. just kind of funny when these people become like libertarians and they're like, yeah, I hustled. I applied for this welfare program and this welfare program, and that's why I want to get rid of them all. Yeah, they always make it sound like, and this is like a classic like dad-uncle argument, like they, they bought a box of apples and stood on the corner <laughs> and sold those apples. And when they got their money, you know what they did? They didn't go to the bar or buy movies. They bought more apples. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, and, and we've talked about a bit, of, a bit on this podcast, but again, it's like a totally different economy that they grew up in. 60s and 70s were really the boom time in America. So it's like, you know, congratulations, you probably worked hard, but you I mean, should... if you tried to run newspapers from Cleveland <laughs> now, you would lose thousands of dollars, <laughs> even with the strike. Yeah. I'm actually standing up for what the American people need and deserve. All right, so he purchases this bar near campus. Got a sexy voice, huh? Yeah. Uh, she was a singer in like a in college. Oh yeah, she's got a folk album. Mm. How about we make that the show? Let's Google Young Jill stuff, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll put a cookie on the floor. <laughs> uh, so uh, he he gets this bar at twenty one. So he buys and renovates this bar at twenty one, uh, and so it gets shut down uh, because, as he tells it. Uh, a pro- probation officer ca- calls the Alcoholic Beverage Commission in Indiana because the wet T-shirt contest they had was participated in by a 16-year-old who was on probation for prostitution. And then basically they came in and they found that there was like a ton of underage drinking in his bar and they shut it down. Um, but yeah. yeah, you know, these things happen. Well, that doesn't sound like the Mark Cuban we're about to learn more about. <laughs> Uh, how long was that bar open? I don't know. They don't really specify, but it's probably just like a year I or like two. I like how a bar opened by a college student isn't immediately flagged. Like, no, that's not <laughs> happening. What are you talking about? Also, that girl was on her way to rehabilitation, you know? <laughs> that's like the methadone. The wet t-shirt contest <laughs> is the thing between right, right. Uh, uh, being a prostitute and being like a, a wife. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> She's a secretary now. She got She got clean. She works for the Dallas front office. She's she's great. <laughs> she works for uh, Loot Crate. <laughs> she she invented Think Underpants. <laughs> um, so he gets his bar shut down, but he graduates business school. He goes back to Pittsburgh for like a year. He he works at Mellon Bank, uh, which is like you know a, a pretty shitty bank for a variety of reasons. It was uh, founded by the uh, uh, Mellon Fortune. Um, and it's been caught up in a bunch of other scandals, but it's neither here nor there. But and my man got a melon head. <laughs> yeah. uh, but so he, he gets fired or he quits because he got chewed out for, according to him, he started some like company humor letter newsletter without permission, which is like... Wait, that's uh, why he got fired? That's what he says in this documentary. That's, that is so pathetic. Yeah. And they cut out the part where it was all rape jokes. <laughs> yeah, those are always... He's like, he's that guy. Yeah. Oh, I saw this online. Just had to share. It's, uh, it's the White House with watermelons. <laughs> this is so funny. He's, he's Michael Scott. He's like, what do you call all the N-words at the bottom of the ocean? <laughs> Telling streak jokes. Um, it's reply all. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a billionaire is just someone with no friends. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. most of the time it is. Yeah. Well, it's like the other thing he talks about in the documentary is like he was like a fat kid growing up and like, you know, didn't get a lot of dates. So it's like, you know, as you'll kind of see like later in his life, you know, I mean, some people go through that and they overcompensate and uh, finger girls mm-hmm. in Portland involuntarily. But we'll get to that. Uh, yeah. Uh, Way to so, kill the mood, Sean. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I know we were having a good time. Is Mark Cuban or half the Portland comedy scene? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, so he graduates. He goes. Oh uh, yeah. So he quits or gets fired from Mellon Bank. Then he goes to Texas in 1982. Uh, works as a bartender for a bit, but then he gets a job as a salesperson for an early computer uh, PC software retailer called Your Business. Uh, He claims to become, like, the number one salesperson, and he learns all about, like, essentially the PC software business, retail, for business, essentially, where, you know, you're, like, selling uh, whatever the precursor to Excel spreadsheets were, you know. Uh, And during that time as a bartender, he's living with, like, five other dudes in a house in in Texas, and, like, they're just kind of living... 
it's you know what it is it's like that young bachelor life where it's like yeah we were struggling it's like well you mean you just didn't want to clean more than once and decided to spend you know a few hundred dollars less in rent but live eight inches from somebody else that's really what you're doing mm-hmm. yeah no his struggle story was basically like uh what a chinese family goes through today <laughs> right 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 on a daily that's a, basis that's a, that's a chinese family who made it Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> But so, yeah, no, it, so he goes through this, and then, so basically, he claims he was, like, fired from this company after a year because, like, he didn't want to clean up the store. Instead, he, like, closed a $15,000 deal or something, and then the owner was, like, a dipshit, was like, all right, well, I'm firing you. So in 83, he st- starts what's called Micro Solutions, and basically, he does this by, like, he claims going to one of the clients there one of his clients right, and right. saying like, hey, will you fund me to mm-hmm. go into business? And, you know, he doesn't really specify how he really got the, the startup capital, but, you know, you can imagine he probably got some friends and family loans too. Uh, uh, but so, anyways, he gets this friend to go in with, or this uh, former customer to go in as his business partner, and then he claims he worked seven years without taking a vacation or whatever, you know, Whatever, like, mythology he builds up. And again, I'm sure he worked hard, but he was right place, right time. He was, like, right in the middle of the computer boom of the 80s. He works for seven years. He's selling the software. Then he sells the thing uh, to CompuServe, which was at the time a subsidiary of H&R Block. He sells it for $6 million in 1990, and he personally gets $2 million of that after tax. So in 1990, he's a millionaire. And uh, then he just goes on vacation, is what he says. There's so many people who, like, buy into that mentality of, like, and I feel like I did it, too, where it's, like, this thing where uh, you just don't ask for help. You do everything yourself. You don't. And, like, all these guys get help. People act like they just did it without anything. You know, like, the great intellectual Louis J. Gomez will always be, like, (laughs) oh, billionaires are billionaires because they work hard and they're smarter than everybody. Right. But they just know how to, like, grift the right people. Right. Well... and it's it, bending arms. It's just, yeah. hey, let me bend everyone's arm around me for yeah. that slight amount of bump to then tomorrow be better than everyone else. Except for the great Alexander Hamilton. He's the only <laughs> self-made <laughs> who made it. Yeah, you know, he uh, he really effectively worked the books on those slave trading companies. You know? <laughs> uh, but he worked the books. That's really what we're talking about here. You know, he didn't have help. I also, the looks. I worked the books. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he was very sad about working the books for the slave traders. Yeah, um, you know, he uh, <laughs> he does, he he was shaking his head in disapproval the whole time. Yeah, but he knew two hundred years later he'd be able to sell the rights, uh, <laughs> <laughs> get uh, corny rap songs made out of it. I don't know. I've never listened to it. I have no idea if it's good or not. You you probably will end up liking it. You know, I probably would. Hating yourself for how much I you would probably like Hamilton. Like it, I you know I don't I don't hate Alexander Hamilton, but that's neither here nor there. Um, uh, but so anyway, so he sells this company. He's a multimillionaire. Mark Cuban does. He goes on vacation. He says, fuck everything. Yeah. I'm out. And that, that Lin-Manuel is going to get me too eventually. Right. Like, oh, no totally. No one can be that enjoyed and not, you know. Well, so like, uh, and again, there's a digression, but Lin-Manuel did a, a, an ad or a series of ads for Morgan Stanley. And, you know, we were talking about the foreclosure crisis at the start of the episode. Morgan Stanley was one of those people who was, when we talk about robo-signing, it's not really a, a good term because what they were doing was essentially creating documents out of thin air. Mm-hmm. And they were just like having somebody sit in a room and sign one of these and having someone sit in another room and pretend to notarize these completely fictional documents that they used to throw people out of their homes, about $6 million plus in, two th- in uh, the foreclosure crisis. So, again, it's like, you know, whatever, take your commercial money, but... Maybe have a little bit of a conscience when you're, like, going to tweet emotional stuff about, like, don't kill yourself after y- your fucking business partners are responsible for, you know, hundreds of suicides at minimum. You know what I think he's going to get is a light me, too. Sort of like uh, the Buffy guy. What's his name? Oh, Joss Whedon. Yeah, like Joss Whedon. Just, like, cheating on his wife, me, too, or whatever. Yeah. There's no way he doesn't already cheat on his wife. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah that dude fucking around. You can see in his eyes. It's like a snake. He's happy. <laughs> <laughs> At least Tony Soprano got to tell him, fuck that guy. It's the therapy. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, uh, Mark Cuban uh, goes on vacation. He buys, like, uh, I guess American Airlines at the time was offering, like, 185000 for, like, lifetime um, flights or something, like 80,000 miles a year. So he buys that, and he gets goes on vacation everywhere. He spends two years in L.A., actually, 
Mark Cuban does. He tries to be an actor. He has a couple bit parts. Um, yeah, and, and that's about it. Like his acting, he he played Macho Mark in a movie because I guess like when you retire, he just like hit the gym all the time. You know, he's like that guy that we've all met doing stand up who just has a bunch of money for some reason. <laughs> right. He's like just producing shows yeah. and, make, and it's like just bad. <laughs> yeah. And then he gets on stage and you're like, oh, is that guy funny? And you're like, he's a nice guy. He's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like a multimillionaire because of his father's work uh, on the union problem in Colombia for Covington and Burling. <laughs> Uh, but so he uh, he uh, tries to be an actor for two years and then uh, and begs his teacher to like, kiss ladies. Give me a scene where I have to kiss her. Give me a scene where I have to kiss her. And he was cool about it. <laughs> right. So he begs his according to his own admission, he begs his acting teacher for parts where he has to like kiss female actresses, which, again, uh, he has been accused of sexual assault and a toxic workplace culture at uh, the Mavs. So take that for what you will. Um, but, yeah, no, it's a. Uh, crazy that a millionaire in the 90s was like you know how i'm gonna make out with chicks i'm gonna get into acting and talk to my acting teacher and they're gonna hook it up i can't just make out with women on my own in my own life acting classes yeah no one who's ever kissed a girl uh, does that <laughs> i like the idea of like ucb coaches being like low-level pimps yeah like, <laughs> Yo, if I sign up for like the uh, 201 classes, can you get me like a scene with uh, Samantha? Uh, all right. So he uh, does the acting for two years. Um, and then in 95, this is when he really like, essentially like, in my opinion, he became a billionaire through like, you know, obviously some hard work, but just sheer luck in terms of riding the uh, dot com bubble. Like he wrote it perfectly. So basically what happens is um, it's a, a company uh, called would eventually be called AudioNet and then Broadcast.com. And it was founded by this guy, uh, uh, Cameron Christopher Jabe or whatever, J-A-E-B, um, who got like this initial investment from his father. And he was starting up like a company to broadcast sports originally uh, through like this customized satellite uh, device, but later moved to the Internet. And so he got the broadcast rights to all these uh, radio and professional sports games. Uh, eventually, like, you know, on the uh, Internet, he was making like, a, a, uh, according to him, he was making 80 to 100 calls a day, getting the broadcast rights for all these sports. And so then Mark Cuban finds out about this in uh, 1994 uh, through his uh, uh, cla former classmate at Indiana U, Todd Wagner, um, who was an attorney at the time. And so Wagner introduces... Uh, Jabe or whatever to Mark Cuban. Cuban invests ten grand in exchange for two percent of the company. Uh, apparently, because he says because he and uh, uh, Todd Wagner wanted to listen to uh, Indiana Hoosiers basketball games on the internet. Um, and then Cuban and Wagner eventually work out a deal where they uh, give the original founder ten percent of the company and then give him a monthly salary of twenty five hundred. But they take complete control of the company. I believe this was in ninety five. And then they completely write him out of the history, wow. <laughs> which is just kind of funny because it's like, you know, like you watch the documentary, you read the Wikipedia, you would have no idea that this guy exists because they bought the company and they're like, yeah, it was our idea. Broadcast sports on the Internet. We thought of that. <laughs> and then Q and, was like, all right, good work, everybody. I got to get to acting class. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't get over this. Play uh, that cr clip again, Andy. That's so fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. I would just beg the teacher, give me a scene where I have to kiss her. Give me a scene where I have to kiss her. And he was cool about it. <laughs> Man, documentaries were so different before the Me Too <laughs> movement. Laugh at the end. Yeah. <laughs> I hate how he's like salivating in that clip. Like it's been a decade or two after that incident's happened, and he's still like, yeah, they were fine with it. Yeah. What a fucking piece of shit. He was a happily married man at that point. He got married in 97, actually. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll get to that. Um, but so basically, uh, they... Uh, uh, they really they found as uh, AudioNet in '95. They keep growing. Um, they broadcast sports for you know essentially through the internet. You can listen to sports games out of local networks, so it's pretty popular. They broadcast, I think, the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show at one point, as well as I think the '96 presidential. Like the audio of it. <laughs> I think that was like in the <laughs> '90s. They might have broadcast the video, but. But yeah, that's doing commentary. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, what a beautiful lady. <laughs> 
He's like, I bet those boobs feel like a bag of sand. <laughs> yeah, it really seems like if there's one thing that does not work in audio format, it is the Victoria's Secret fashion show. <laughs> uh, but so he's uh, the company's. Wow, those bras! Check them out, everyone. <laughs> Playboy Radio. <laughs> it's like the '90s. So like, like no, we're gonna do this one in video, and it's like four pixels that are just <laughs> colors shifting around. And Ooh, like, check out that beige pixel. That yeah. looks nice. <laughs> That'd be a problem because people like keep jacking off during the commercial breaks or something. <laughs> Before we get to the IPO, uh, essentially like. They go in, but then they also like uh, start getting their friends and family to invest. And here's just for a the moment, it was only on paper, but Mark and Todd were suddenly filthy rich. Friends and family who'd shown enough faith to make the minimum investment of sixteen thousand dollars were now worth nearly twenty million dollars. I like how this entire documentary is uh, is scored by what's probably a band of fifty-eight year olds. <laughs> It is very Viagra-inspired music. It's yeah. <laughs> this is so funny that so much of life just comes down to, like, friends and women. Yep. <laughs> right. Well, it's and a running gag that every single billionaire has the, that gets a loan from friends and family corp. Right. Yeah, like, <laughs> uh, fucking on. Jeff Bezos got 300000 from no, his parents. No, Jeff Bezos <laughs> is 140 times billion smarter than <laughs> us. <laughs> That's why he got the money. Yeah. Who's the best people are the Jeff Bezos stands online? Oh, God. What is this? Oh, the people who will defend Jeff Bezos to the death. Wow. They're like, he made one homeless shelter in Seattle. Is that not enough for you? <laughs> Those are people. And then he made yeah. all of the people that fill it. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So uh, basically they do. Uh, okay. Yeah. They go uh, public July 17, 1998. And again, this is the height of the dot-com bubble. So they shoot up to $62 a share. And he's like, you know, a uh, multimillionaire on paper now. But then I think just like uh, uh, less than a year later, Yahoo buys it for $5.8 billion in 1999. And again, this is perfect timing because, of course, in 2000, you have the dot-com crash. Right. So Yahoo spends almost $6 billion on this company that they shut down completely in 2002. Wow. So it's just like one of the absolute dumbest purchases in history. But it makes Mark Cuban uh, a billionaire on paper. I think his wealth becomes like $1.3 or so billion in uh, 2000. And uh, it's funny how any of us in this room be like, all right, that's it. Gonna yeah. Take my money. Like, <laughs> do whatever. Right. <laughs> Going to take some acting classes. You know, yeah. my life. I'll, I'll maybe start a podcast. <laughs> get really into like IPAs. Just enjoy my life. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, that's what Hart did, basically. <laughs> it's the former. He had, he had crazy good luck. Yeah. This. Oh, yeah. Mark Cuban was like, he perfectly rode, rode the wave. And it's just funny because it's like, you know, he has like inspirational quotes that he, he sells T-shirts of, which we'll get to. But one of them is like, if I can do it, you can do it. And it's like, well, clearly not. <laughs> I mean, like you got and even like at one point in the doc, he admits he got insanely lucky. But of course, he still has this kind of like Ayn Rand sense that it was like it was my hard work that got me here. Right, which, right. You know, and it's like hard work. It's has... called rise and grind. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of stuff where he talks about like, I told my friends I was going to be rich growing up. And it's like, oh, man, that's the worst. <laughs> you know that kid that told you growing up he's going to be rich? That yeah. guy, if he became a billionaire, oh, man, all your friends hate you that much more. That's the same kid who would like lie about how many jet skis his dad had. <laughs> right, right, right. It's a smart thing to do because then when, you, then when you get rich, you just don't have any friends you have to share the money with. <laughs> Everybody fucking hates you. Um, but anyways, <laughs> uh, he gets this. Uh, he, he becomes a billionaire. His first purchase after he becomes a billionaire is he buys a Gulfstream 5 private jet for $41 million through the Internet. And uh, sounds like and he bought it used. <laughs> <laughs> he bought it from the Internet? That's yeah. said in there? Yeah, yeah, it was it's, at uh, the, on Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> it was at the time the biggest uh, financial transaction, single in the history of the internet, is what I read somewhere. Huh. Um, but <laughs> you yeah. bought it off Craigslist. <laughs> Just showed up in a parking lot. Yeah, <laughs> after guy. after work at like eight p.m. <laughs> yeah. It's like I don't know. This doesn't really look like the picture. <laughs> <laughs> it's behind. It's parked behind the apartment building. 
<laughs> the engine explodes midair or some shit. Sure, this isn't stolen. Yeah, yeah, but you got the cash. He's like, uh, let's meet What's at like a, a Starbucks. Uh, <laughs> <safe>. <laughs> What's the total flight time? <laughs> it's like just all of the the controls are in like Russian lettering. And <laughs> It's just it's like, a MIG. Yeah. <laughs> it comes with like a Soviet pilot. <laughs> been a political prisoner since the 80s. Ever since I bought this thing, Oleg Deripaska has been hunting me. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, and then like he uh, he kind of retires for a bit, but then he buys the Mavs, I think, in 2000, the Dallas Mavericks, the basketball team. Um, he buys them for about two hundred and twenty million from um, uh, Ross Perot Jr. Ross Perot's son was the owner at the time. <laughs> oh my God. So uh, why why did Yahoo buy his company? Well, because it, it, because it was like uh, the dot com boom, where like everybody was convinced that like every single internet company was like just a money making machine. Right. And of course, Wall Street like fueled this because they took a lot of the IPOs because they get like seven percent of an IPO, and then they go off to all their clients. And then of course, they have like their little analysts in house be like, "Hey, you better give this a good rating and a buy rating because we're gonna go IPO it." Mm. So it's like there was a lot of like feeding of the bubble. And yeah, it's a jerk off session. Exactly. Is what happened. Yeah. And yeah, who made why it? when you invest, boys, you got to work. You got to work on instinct. <laughs> <laughs> you don't listen to these eggheads. No, you, gotta put your gut you buy five thousand dollars worth of Canadian weed stock <laughs> <laughs> right before it crashes. Yeah. This is how I lost four hundred dollars in Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, that's, you're lucky. That's all you lost. I know. Isn't like weed stock going to rebound or something now that Canada's legalizing? It's I, supposed to, but I don't know. Let me check. I mean, I wait. This I is invested, a real thing. Yeah, yeah Mike, Mike bought some weed stock. He like texted me like, "You Not think some. I should?" Yeah, <laughs> he, like you think Most. I should buy this weed yeah. stock? And I was like, "I have no idea." You bought it before like it was company. legal. Well, right, well, it was it like medical was pretty marijuana much legal. or something. No, oh, medical. Yeah, it's okay. up a little bit. It's at eleven eighty-seven Canadian dollars, but I bought it for like seventeen or twenty-one. I forget which All company right. is this. Afria. Hmm. Yeah, but it tanked. Went down pretty hard. But it'll come back. Anyway, edit this out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, um, oh yeah, speaking of Bitcoin, in January 2018, Cuban announced that the Mavericks would be accepting Bitcoin as payment for... uh, uh, tickets in the well. Another season. funny thing about Bitcoin is like you hear the Winklevosses talk about it, yeah. and they're like, "Well, you know, all these all these old guys they think money's supposed to be green." You're like, "Yeah, fuck those old pieces <laughs> of shit." I'm gonna be with you, Tyler, and get the computer money. <laughs> I'm smart. <laughs> you feel you're like Fredo Corleone. Yeah. Like. These people who like the Winklevoss twins who know nothing about uh, coming from money or old guys with money. Yeah, Harvard yachts or. Rowing or whatever the fuck crew young, crew young there you go. <laughs> um, all right, so I guess uh, and then we can kind of jump around with some of the time we have left. But uh, uh, there was a Sports Illustrated article about kind of the sexual harassment culture at the front office of the Mavericks, and it's just kind of interesting because again, like. In this documentary and other stuff with Cuban, he talks about, like, when he took over the Mavericks, he, like, went through everything with a fine-tooth comb, and he, like, you know, got the the players set up, and he, like, got them a new uh, uh, airplane, and he, like... Got them better He's lockers. Like, Get me those cheerleaders. I want to inspect them. <laughs> <laughs> Top to bottom. Yeah. Every he, single department. He probably owns one of those FBI shirts. It's a female body. Um. <laughs> But probably owns the company that makes those shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably. Boardwalk shirts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so there was a president of the Mavs, uh, the Mavericks at the time, um, Tirdima Usury. A bunch of guidos at the t-shirt. So I was like, guys, Mr. Cuban's coming in. Today. Everybody clean up. Make sure. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, he buys the Mavs in 2000 and then the president, uh, from, uh, the nineties to 2015 was this guy named Tirdima, uh, Useri. And, uh, this guy was apparently investigated by the Mavs for sexual harassment in 1998. They cleared him, but they, um, it was according to Sports Illustrated, they cleared him, but they like sent out, you know, new sexual harassment guidelines that everybody had to read and then, uh, you know, ignore. Total um, Maverick move. <laughs> um, but so basically, 
again, Cuban like went through everything and micromanaged everything, but he denies having any knowledge of any of this. And then Sports Illustrated ran this story uh, this year, which is basically, I think, in like 2014, a sports, uh, an employee of the um there were multiple sexual harassment claims against uh this president usury and like one of the quotes was a a woman who worked at the maverick says that she was sitting down to lunch and that he came up to her and sat down next to her and they were having a conversation and he said he claimed that he knew what she was going to do over the coming weekend and then when she asked what he meant he smiled and said quote you're going to get gang banged aren't you and then she responded, no, actually, I'm going to the movies with friends. And he said, no, he insisted, you're definitely getting gang banged. Um, so, you know, just that kind of uh, He's work. not a fortune teller, you're telling me? He's not <laughs> the office fortune teller? <laughs> it's like, it was a bit awkward because she actually was going to get it. Yeah. And I just want to remind your listeners, the only people who actually have game are uh, truck drivers like me. <laughs> <laughs> Working class, salt of the earth men who treat you with respect. I do like the idea that in court they're like, no, he is the office fortune teller. <laughs> but, but it's so like in that, like that guy was trying to get laid, like in his head, she right. was like, mm, maybe I'm going to get <laughs> Here's my number. <laughs> I love how that her first response isn't like, what the fuck are you saying? But I'm going to the movies this weekend. Uh, <laughs> and he's just like, oh, oh what movie? Are you gonna see? <laughs> She's like, well, it was a French art, French art house film. So he was partially right. Yeah, no, he was. He knew that she was going to Mark Cuban's bar, the Motley's pub to, for the wet T-shirt. Where, contest. where is this guy from? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I haven't done much research on him. But uh, essentially, he was a. Uh, Mm. But Uzeri? Oh, he's he grew, from uh, He grew up Los in Compton, yeah. yeah. Um, but so uh, he was... Le- so there were, like, multiple complaints about him. Like, another one was uh, a woman said that he, uh, like, approached her in an elevator and said, like, come on, just one time or something like that. Um, but so he was let go in 2015 um, on a- a- amicable terms. And then, of course, Mark Cuban ca- claims that he uh, knew nothing about it when Sports Illustrated published this article in 2018. And we believe and, him. And then there were just, like, other weird stuff where it was, like, um, uh, let's see. So basically, like, somebody... Mark, Mark Cuban's like, dude, couldn't you just take an acting class? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So... Uh, so uh, Mark hires some guy to be, I guess, the beat reporter of the Mavericks was a guy named Sneed. And then uh, he was arrested. Sneed was arrested uh, for... He, he hired Grima Wormtongue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so again, from the Sports Illustrated article, uh, Sneed in 2012 <laughs> pleaded guilty to misdemeanor charges of family violence uh, after apparently he like choked and beat his girlfriend and said, I'm going to fucking kill you or something. Uh, he was kept on by We've the Mavericks. <laughs> and they all said, we never would have expected this from a Sneed. <laughs> he was uh, kept on by the Mavericks. And then later he, Maverick move. he dated someone on the Mavericks. And then in uh, 2014, he uh, hit her in a domestic dispute. Um, so yeah, you know, multiple um, uh, domestic violence guy being hired. And it was just like, you know, so like one of the uh, people who spoke to Sports Illustrated about this story said on background, quote, trust me, Mark knows everything that goes on. So, you know, it kind of strains credulity. Yeah, it didn't seem like Mark wouldn't know about this stuff. I mean, he seems like a hands-on. Right. Especially because that Sneed guy was like arrested at his workplace. Yeah. You know who did know, though, the fortune teller. (laughs) (laughs) He tried to warn him. But so... uh, uh, basically, uh, you know, they said that the reason Mark, they alleged the reason Mark turned a blind eye was that uh, this president, Usury, was able to get the Mavericks uh, $240 million for their stadium from the city of Dallas, I believe, $240 million in public money. And he also brought the uh, uh, 2010 NBA All-Star Game to Dallas. So the idea is that Mark kind of turned a blind eye because they were making money. That's about it. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. Sounds like him. Yeah, we're making money. Who gives a fuck if people are being abused? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we kind of mentioned Ayn-, Ayn Rand a bit. So Cuban's a big fan of uh, Ayn Rand, you know, who is the objectivist philosopher. 
essentially believes that, you know, because your existence is the only thing you can conceive of, you are the only person who matters, you know, this kind of stuff. And she wrote a bunch of books uh, about, like, you know, great men who, like, ignore government bureaucracies and, like, make the world better. And just, like, one quote about uh, from Mark Cuban about Ayn Rand books, Ayn Rand's book, The Fountainhead. Uh, quote, it was incredibly motivating to me. It encouraged me to think as an individual, take risks to reach my goals and responsibility for my successes and failures. I loved it. I don't know how many times I've read it, but it got to the point where I had to stop because I would get too fired up. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) I didn't know that's what that's at the core of objectivism, that you're the only person you can conceive of. So it's like so everybody else is just like a hologram. Basically. I mean, it was like because Ayn Rand, you know, like thought of the libertarian movement as her like bastard offspring or something Mm -hmm. but that's really where her philosophy began and ended was that you know the power of the individual and the great individual and the individual is what matters and because you know you are the only person you know for sure exists and can conceive of you are the only person who matters i'm just imagining mark cuban in a uh argyle sweater with collars coming out sitting in a like nice comfy reading chair with reading glasses coming down and then all of a sudden, he's just like, yeah, and spikes the book. <laughs> you know, nothing like the prose of a 60-year-old Russian woman. <laughs> just babbling. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, so, uh, of course, he was uh, very inspired by the protagonist in The Fountainhead, which is why he went on to commit sexual assault. Um, this, I right. like Milton Friedman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but just like, so... Uh, Again, I haven't read The Fountainhead, but there's, like, a scene where the main character, the hero, the individualist architect who, like, uh, knows better than all of the critics and all of the socialists, um, he uh, uh, is, like, uh, he rapes uh, the the main love interest who's, like, the wealthy daughter of some, one of his clients or something, and uh, basically... What? That's in the Fountainhead? That's in the Fountainhead, yes. And so there's been, like, a lot of discussion about this scene, but I I just want to... But So basically, Ayn Rand writes it in a way where he rapes her, but she likes it. And uh, just one quick pull quote from it, which is that Ayn Rand writes, The act of a master taking shameful, contemptuous possession of her was the kind of rapture she had wanted. And so it is just kind of like this... I don't know. Maybe if you read the Fountainhead, you internalize this idea that this great man, you know, grabbing fucking women in his acting class is what they really want deep down. And for like 15 years, America's Fed chair uh, was a huge fan of this. Did Bernie Sanders say something like that, too? He did, yeah. That was in like his, he wrote like a short story Mm. with Oh, I just want to say that. (laughs) I like the beef. (laughs) He said that in a debate with Hillary Clinton. (laughs) (laughs) Not so quick on his feet. (laughs) Yes, Bill Clinton is a rapist, and Hillary likes it. Well, I still fucking hate Hillary, so... (laughs) Uh, But so, um, uh, we're kind of jumping around, but I guess we should talk about the actual sexual assault allegation against Mark Cuban was a Portland paper called The Willamette Week, or however you pronounce it. Willamette. Willamette. It grew up, like, two hours from there. Yeah, whatever. Um, but so they they published this story uh, where they uh, found it through police records, Portland police records, but then they contacted the woman and then she confirmed it. So basically, just a quote from the Willamette Week, uh, the woman told police she encountered Cuban in late April 2011. This is during a playoff game or just before a playoff game between uh, the Mavericks and the uh, uh, Portland Trailblazers. Uh, she encountered him at a bar in... Um, Uh, in Portland, asked him to pose for a photograph. While they smiled for the camera, she claimed, he thrust his hand down the back of her jeans and penetrated her vagina with his finger. Um, And so basically, uh, she wasn't sure what to do about this. She told her then-boyfriend. She told friends and family. Then a week later, she went to the Portland police. And uh, they opened up an investigation into this. They had seven photos from the woman, apparently two of which they deemed significant because... You couldn't see Mark Cuban's hand like it was clearly on her back or her butt or whatever. And she had like a grimacing expression or something like that. Uh, But that was the only evidence they had. 
And so then one of the investigators like calls up Mark Cuban and like it's like, do you remember this? And he's like, no, of course I was, of course not. I was with Kevin Love the whole night. I was he's he claims he was like a little drunk but not plastered, whereas the woman says he was just shit faced and this took place at like 2 a.m. or something. Um, but so they investigated and then the DA eventually decided not to prosecute. Um, but I do like that. Uh, uh, in, in response to this, this one's going into the he's rich pile. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in response to this, Cuban got two urologists at George Washington University to provide uh, the detective investigating with a written opinion that Cuban could not have physically committed the crime because, quote, Cuban is a large male with large hands making penetra- penetration without lubrication of the woman in the standing position virtually impossible. All right, I will admit that is kind of where my mind went. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. These must have been pretty loose-fitting jeans. (laughs) She was was just so wet from the idea of a master taking shameful, contemptuous possession of her. All right. Yeah, all right. Well, (laughs) guys, what else? (laughs) No, I I don't know. So he's been married since Anyway, so you guys were mad at Sean before. Yeah. (laughs) No, I, yeah, all right. <laughs> I mean, that's the story. The DA investigated. They uh, uh, didn't come up with anything. But, um, you know, the woman, she told the Willamette. I guess why would you lie about that? Right. She, yeah, well, why would you ever say Mark Cuban touched you as a lie? What, what, what is it a game from that? Maybe he was trying to buy NBC. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so basically, uh, you know, DA chose not to prosecute. Woman. Uh, told the paper that she stands by her claims 100%. Mark Cuban's attorneys deny him 100%. And that's where we're at. And, you know, he's essentially talked about running for president for 2020, but his wife won't let him. So, you know, I mean, maybe he should think about that advice. To be fair, his wife won't let him run for president, but he's certainly doing things his wife wouldn't like constantly. So let's not, <laughs> let's not pretend. It uh, is funny, though, to be that guy's lawyer and, like, you look around, like, you're in your backyard and you probably have, like, a like a beer and like an in-ground pool, you know, and you're like, yeah, I got this money from uh, saying Mark Cuban didn't finger a woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're, uh, you know, I think we all wish we like had more money, but like just the the awful shit you have to do sometimes. I like the idea of being like a university uh, urologist at George Washington University and being like, honey, great news. We get to go on vacation this year because somebody <laughs> accused Mark Cuban of rape or sexual assault. Can we talk about Shark Tank real quick? Yeah. I don't know if you guys know this, but I hate that show. I think it's stupid. And the reason I think it's stupid is because it's just a lazier infomercial. Because infomercials are, hey, here's some useless crap, and let's pitch it to the audience, which is uh, the consumers. Shark Tank is, hey, I made a product, and let me pitch it to four people, and if they're interested, we'll get the public, which is not how that should work. That's that's stupid. <laughs> uh, if Mark Cuban likes something, I probably hate it. Um and apparently uh, there's a shark uh, analytics website where they've done an analysis on all of the investments they've done. And Mark Cuban has invested uh, a little under $20 million on air, basically. And it's all around the U.S. And it's just like, I don't care what Cuban thinks is going to be profitable tomorrow. I don't give a fuck about this. He's it's, a businessman. And the worst thing is, is that it makes people think that the American dream is that much more achievable. It's like, well, look, that guy made a condom made out of fucking hemp, and now he's got a million dollars. And it's like, well, that's that's not realistic for any of us. Yeah. Um, the condom or that business venture. I finally had a uh, Cool House ice cream sandwich like this summer because mm-hmm. the grocery store across the street sells them. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted one because I would see the truck and never get it, and it's like... <laughs> They're like, you know, artisan ice cream sandwiches. Sure, sure. You know, I'm, I'm eating it. I'm like, fuck this. Fuck yeah. this thing. But then people <laughs> will hold that whoever started that company up as like a – is modicum the right word? A modicum of success. An right. example of success. But but like, it's like that's not – I almost didn't look like an idiot. Whole <laughs> I had to see what a fucking stupid wop I am. But uh, <laughs> but but it's, it's like – yeah, you just made like a shitty or like a slightly better version of a thing that already exists. It's not even slightly better. There's one guy who went on Shark Tank that they didn't invest in. It was a uh, one cup wine, this yeah. dude. And yeah. now that shit's everywhere. And they're like, oh, oh yeah. we passed on the one cup of wine, dude. And it's like, who gives a fuck? What, what was one cup of wine? It's just a plastic cup of wine that's in one cup. Like, it's basically you could buy a six rack of wine. Uh-huh. But instead of a bottle, you can buy it in these plastic containers. Yeah, it's just something people haven't seen before, right. and they're like, "Yeah." I will. I will say this for Shark Tank, though, is like 
some desperate person pitching a useless idea to like a bunch of dumb billionaires is pretty much how our economy runs <laughs> yeah like that's how things get sold yeah but it yeah. is very like the the royals will see you now and see if your life will be better than the peasant you are they like don't yeah. they don't keep track of performance uh on shark tank yeah what's his record Oh, it, uh, I'll send you the link. I don't... Because I'm looking at Sharkalytics. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, it just... It covers, like, his what stake he took on for each yeah, one. Yeah, but it doesn't show... But that's right exactly now. the problem with it, is it's not a show where you're actually watching people conduct real business and seeing if shit's working out. It's, hey, will a rich person throw money at me? Mm. And it's like, I don't know, man. I mean... Which, like, they probably wipe their ass with those investments. Like, $100,000 is like... It's like a dollar to the rest of us. Uh And also, like... I mean, I probably have a little more money than you guys, but... (laughs) (laughs) It's just one of those things where, like, you know, that's a perfect example of why that show's stupid, because it inspires idiots to think that they could make more money. When it's like, no, you have no fucking idea. I've had people who, who are, like business majors say that they want to like they <laughs> they watch shark for like inspiration <laughs> seriously well well it's kind of interesting it's, because he mentioned he raised his profile and so he started this company uh it was a joint venture with nelly and nelly's business manager mike chaffin it's a company called three commas and i had no idea that the silic if you watch silicon valley the character who talks about like three commas and trace commas, mm-hmm. trace commas is just directly ripped off from Mark Cuban because basically they sell these shirts that have three commas on them uh, as they explain to represent that there are three commas and a billion dollars. But so they have like the Mark Cuban line and it's just like dumbass quotes from Mark Cuban and all of the shirts are on sale except for the one that says, and for that reason, I am out or whatever, quote Mark yeah, Cuban. That's a perfect example of why that show fucking sucks. Yeah. Do they have the Mark Cuban quote that was, uh, I didn't touch that one? <laughs> <laughs> they have the one where he's telling the detective, fuck, fuck, oh, fuck. <laughs> I, thought, I thought she was cool with it. <laughs> it's funny. Like You can go to the Willamette Week or whatever, and you can read the transcript, because I guess they got, I don't know, through Freedom of Information or whatever, they got the, the transcript of the detective interviewing him, and he talks to the detective without his lawyer, and like half the transcript is him just going, fuck, oh, fuck. <laughs> the detective is like, well, this is, you know, it's a class two felony which is like the weakest felony but you know penetration without permission is a felony he's like oh my god oh lord oh fuck and he and then he later he goes like well you know like if he told her friend if she told her friends and like five of them are willing to tell the judge that i did this like i'm fucked i'm fucked aren't i you know and I, i'm paraphrasing but it looks like this was acting classes to pay <laughs> off <laughs> um but uh, uh just a couple other of the quotes that like uh, that you are all on sale on the Mark uh, Cuban line of the three commas uh, is he has a quote: "I'm an entrepreneur, you're a wantrepreneur." Which wow, that's doesn't, bad. Doesn't make any sense. He said, "There's a shirt you can get that says, when I die, I want to come back as me.'" Quote Mark Cuban: um, it, "If I can do it, you can do it." You it, know, the best thing about these shirts uh-huh. is that we all have a very perfect image of the kind of person who wears them in our heads right now. Yeah. It's not about the journey. It's about the journey, not the end, which is like, that's like, that's not even your quote. (laughs) One of my uh, well-known supporters, Mark Cuban was there in the front row and he really, he's a cool guy. Settled my opponent, (laughs) but I'll tell you, Mark Cuban's a real billionaire who actually uses profit sharing. You know that winning line? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Donald Trump's not a real billionaire. (laughs) Yeah, all the factory workers that lost their jobs in Ohio were really convinced by this guy sharing profits with his 200 employees or whatever. I do like that Mark Cuban was like... what a terrible fucking... (laughs) Mark Cuban was one of like four men accused of sexual assault that Hillary Clinton enthusiastically (laughs) accepted the endorsement of, including her fucking husband. Only one that wasn't running against her. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's if, like, I guess what she's, she's expecting people to be, like, clapping like seals, like, being right. like, oh, a billionaire. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, he's on Shark Tank. That is what people expect, though. I mean, like, what sucks is previous to every episode of this podcast, I'm always like, I don't know if we got enough dirt. And then the moment 
where at like the 30 minute mark I'm like no this is this guy's uh, rightful piece of shit mm-hmm. I don't watch Shark Tank but I need you to tank yourself to the polls <laughs> um, oh yeah and so tell Donald Trump I'm out <laughs> <laughs> Is like uh, that's so shitty. You know what? If you're poor, it just means you're cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, Mrs. Clinton, the results are coming in. Oh fuck! Oh fuck! Oh fuck! Oh fuck! <laughs> Every state. Yeah. Um, but so it's a real billionaire, <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I just how dare you say Donald Trump's not a billionaire? You fucking whore. Uh. Yeah, and so he had, like, some rally in Pittsburgh where he, like, told this extremely unenthusiastic crowd that, you know, in Pittsburgh, we call Trump a jag-off or something. Like, and then he's wearing oh, yeah. a shirt with Batman on it. I thought that's a it. Chicago thing, too. A jag-off? A jag-off, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, is it shorter for jack-off? What is, what is yeah, what's going just, on? There? I don't know. I don't know. That's just what they say. Because you wouldn't be like, oh, it's jagging off. In the back. Like, that doesn't seem... It's, it's, it's just a pejorative. It's yeah. short for what he should have done before going to that bar in Portland. <laughs> uh, my friend Kevin was telling me he was in a bar one time and, like, uh, Hillary Clinton came on and there was, like, this older guy with his wife and the guy looks at the TV and he goes, that fucking... And he said the C word. <laughs> and then the guy's wife goes, honey, no politics. <laughs> Uh, um, Oh, yeah. So uh, another thing about Cuban is he was going to distribute the uh, 9-11 conspiracy movie Loose Change in 2007 with Charlie Sheen narrating it. So Cuban owns 20. What a great voice. (laughs) Cuban is a co-owner of 2929 Entertainment, which, among others, owns Magnolia Pictures. It owns Paramount Theaters. It owns um, Access TV. Uh, he was going to distrib- distribute Loose Change through uh, Magnolia Pictures um, with Charlie Sheen narrating, but he backed out uh, because, you know, it was controversial, understandably. Uh, but he claims this is the reason the SEC investigated him for insider trading in t- 2008. And, Stephen, I know yeah. you read a little bit about that, but basically my understanding is someone gave him a tip-off that the stocks in some company he was invested in were about to be diluted, so he immediately sold like a quarter of a million and well, got out just in time. He, I mean, he told the courts that he, while he was angry about the, the sale going through, he didn't know that it was confidential. So Wish someone could have warned me before I bought all that Canadian <laughs> stock. The I truth so. is that they were really mad at him for telling the truth about the gold in Building 7. <laughs> I thought it was against distributing loose change because he thought it was a policy of giving poor people money. Well, I mean, the the fine was basically loose change to him, though. Right. But oh, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar loss oh, is wow. what he avoided right. by by making this trade. So it's like it's like yeah. you. I but, don't know. You avoided paying fifty cents for your sandwich or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But so a um the it went through the appeals court, which is probably something he would do anyway. Now. Yeah. Just the way those people act. Um. Yeah. The SEC investigated him. It went through the appeals court, and then 2013, a federal jury in Texas found him not guilty. So, good for him. He definitely didn't do any insider trading. And weren't you saying, like, somebody uh, gave him maybe a tip-off to, like, get out of tech, like, just before the stock market, well, the I, tech bubble? It didn't sound like anything illegal, per se. It's just super, like, someone said, like, hey, you should diversify your wealth in the year 2000, right before the crash. Right, right before the dot-com bubble crashed. Um, so well. he's like, you know. Well, folks, that's Did they it. do a Shark Tank episode with the loose change guy pitching? <laughs> 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 to keep them. So I, I made this film. Uh, I think you guys could uh, maybe enjoy it. Look uh, at how the building falls Next to the tank, it's a guy who thinks the Jews did 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> what, what if uh, uh, Mossad goes on Shark Tank and they're like, uh, we have this, this term, thermite technology oh, wow. and it'll do like a controlled demolition and you can make it look like an airplane's <laughs> flying into the building you want to destroy. Cuban's like, I've heard about this. <laughs> I'm in. You guys uh, seem like you're really hustling. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, that's it. Uh, Mark Cuban, uh, future uh, presidential candidate, possibly independent, 2020. Possibly um, single by then, too. I'm going to make a meme of myself. I'm going to have my finger on my temple. It's going to say... You think the government did 9-11? That would imply the government is competent. <laughs> have my name below it. I'm a fucking genius. Uh, you might make a billion dollars from it. Who yeah. knows? You go viral on Our Libertarian. And then you can tell the story once you're a billionaire about how you were selling those sandwiches. I used to sell <laughs> Wawa sandwiches. This kid, Matt Paul, refused to pay me because there wasn't mayonnaise on his sandwich. And I, <laughs> I had to shut down my business. Really? Yeah. I still think about killing that kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, yeah, thank you uh, for being here. Uh, Mike Racine, very funny stand-up comedian, hosts the Sit Down podcast about organized crime. Mm-hmm. You should all check it out. It's Mike very Seen funny. And One of my favorites. Matt Anderson? Yes. Matt Anderson's there, too. Lovely yeah, fella. the integral part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, I guess uh, we'll be back next week. Anything else before we wrap up here? I think that's everything. And with that, I'm Yogi Polywall. I'm Andy Palmer. Uh, Sean McCarthy. Steve Jeffries. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. How are you? Good. Good to see you again. Good. Real quick, Donald Trump and LeVar Ball currently still arguing. LeVar Ball refuses to um, thank Donald Trump for getting his son Leangelo out of China. Uh-huh. Should LeVar Ball just say thank you? I mean, why? No, I think he should send him an unlimited supply of Big Baller brand shoes. Yeah. Because that's really what this is all about. Donald Trump just wants some free shoes. You know he's not going to Is that what it is? That's all what it is. That's all it is. I mean, why, I just don't understand. Like, do you think Donald Trump has a lot to do with it? I mean, I mean, actually, they're okay. On the real, they're so much alike. Yeah. Because Donald will say what he needs to to say in PR in the mindset and be talked about. So does Levar. Right. So Donald doesn't apologize for anything. Neither does Levar. Right. Levar knows if he apologizes, there's nothing else to talk about. Exactly. Levar doesn't apologize. He'll be in the news all day, every day, and the president will end up having to talk about him. What's better for Big Baller Brand? It's straight out of the Donald Trump playbook. Congratulations, LeVar.